Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Louisville Cardinals men's basketball legend, Alvin Sims. Great episode today. Really appreciate him joining me. Funny story is, I started podcasting thanks to my man, Matt McCarthy, back in 2011. And we had a really legitimate website and um, studio. We are doing video and audio, and we were interviewing people over, um, I think it was maybe not Zoom. I forget how we were doing it, but we landed an interview with Alvin Sims back in 2011. I was the, the host along with Tyler Bloyd. And if I remember correctly, I think I'm the one who did the interview. For whatever reason, it was just me. But in hindsight, I think I maybe had too much coffee or something. I was a little nervous. And I'm pretty sure I butchered the interview back in 2011. Alvin was super nice. So, I mean, it was entirely me, you know, kind of being awkward and nervous because he was kind of a, not kind of, he was a childhood um, hero of mine. And I got to interview him in 2011 and really butchered the episode or the interview. So I reached out to him recently and I said, Alvin, if it's all right, could I have a chance to run it back? This is, of course, 11 years later, and I think we did, a, a, or I did, a much better job, and Alvin, as I say in the episode, is just a, a wealth of knowledge from so many different angles when it comes to basketball at the local level in Louisville, all across the state of Kentucky, all across the United States, and then even internationally. Uh, so I really enjoyed interviewing Alvin Sims today. I appreciate everyone tuning in to the podcast. If you are a fan or if you just enjoy the episode, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Alvin Sims. Alvin, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you joining me. Uh, just a brief backstory. I moved to Kentucky when I was, I think I was eight years old, and that was like 1992, okay? And so shortly after I got to Kentucky, of course, I was, you know, my father's always a big basketball fan, and of course, Louisville, Kentucky is the college basketball center of the world, you could say, you know, according to like the television market ratings and things like that. So I started going to Louisville basketball games at that time, and uh, shortly after... Uh, getting, you know, exposed to Freedom Hall and Denny Crum and, and those teams. I always remember Alvin was one of the, the pivotal players who, my memories tell me, Alvin, you were the guy who was just extremely strong and just a really, you know, powerful dunker. So you were one of the my favorite players in the history of the University of Louisville. So I really appreciate you joining me. Alvin, if it's all right, for the sake of the Kelly Patrick Show listeners... Could you introduce yourself? Who is Alvin Sims? Kind of starting at square one. 
where are you from? Uh, where'd you grow up? What kind of sports did you play when you were a kid? And, and everything prior to you going to the University of Louisville, if that's all right, if you could introduce yourself, please. No, that's, that's perfectly fine. My name's Alvin Sims. Um, I'm currently 47 years old. I uh, grew up, well, actually I was born in uh, Evanston, Illinois. Um, grew up um, partly in, in Illinois and then migrated to Paris, Kentucky, where uh, I became established in sports. And I was an all-around athlete. I played uh, baseball, football, soccer, um, and, of course, basketball. Uh, I was pretty good. at. Uh, I ran track as well, and I was pretty good at everything. And I was, like I said, I'm all-around uh, all athlete. But uh, my path ended up um, with basketball. Um, I started getting a lot of um, notoriety uh, around eighth grade year and um, was discovered by uh, Eddie Ford when he had the Kentucky All-Stars. Um, they started rating me. We started going to what is now known as the AAU circuit. Uh, played in Vegas, LA. Played against a lot of competition. Uh, it helped my help help me grow. Uh, later on, came back through my high school years. Uh, I got noticed by a lot of um, universities. Um, and then, you know, uh, after all that, I ended up in Louisville. How did you end up in Louisville? Like who? Um I'm trying to remember who was like an assistant coach and all that uh, on that staff. Of course, it was the legendary Denny Crum. Um, I guess it was somewhat relatively late in the Denny Crum tenure. But could you tell me about the recruitment to Louisville? Uh, how was that entire process? Who was the guy who recruited you primarily? And how much interaction did you have specifically with Denny Crum? All right. So uh, Larry Gay, uh, native of Winchester. Uh, Kentucky, which is like 20 minutes from Paris. So he heard about me. Um, him and Scooter McRae, they, they they started coming and watching games. I think uh, they attempted two games. Maybe they missed one because uh, maybe traffic or whatever. And then one game, that I guess they heard. Uh, it might have been three games. So one game they heard I was in foul trouble. So they was like... Uh, well, maybe we shouldn't go, but, they, you know, they told me the story. But anyway, uh, Larry Gay was uh, – that was my con my point of contact as far as recruitment at that time. And then um, the Kentucky All-Stars um, tryouts uh, my senior year, um, Denny Crum came. Well, yeah, he had somebody come watch, and, you know, they, they, def they definitely recommended me uh, coming there on, on scholarships. So. You mentioned Winchester, the first name that comes to mind when I hear Winchester, Kentucky, as a Louisville fan, is Preston Knowles. Um, yeah. Are there any other names for, I don't know, Winchester or Paris when it comes to athletics that deserve to be mentioned? Um... Not to, not to my knowledge. Uh, I'm sure, like I've heard of uh, older older players that that were good, but didn't get the notoriety. But um, yeah, I mean, Paris and Winchester, the Central Kentucky area has a lot of talent. So. Okay, of course, Preston Knowles is also um, kind of a fan favorite when it comes to Louisville. Uh, you know, Louisville basketball fans. Are you you know Preston? You, you interacted with him much? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I actually played against him before he went to Louisville, and like uh, it was like a tournament, summer tournament. Um, I think it was in Win. It might have been in Winchester or Mount Sterling, but we always play summer ball somewhere. And uh, yeah, we we played against each other maybe once or twice. Okay. Yeah, it seems like to play for the University of Louisville, I know the same goes for the University of Kentucky or any big college program. 
Um, you know, even if you don't win some crazy award like National Player of the Year, you're not like a top draft pick in the NBA or something. If you're someone like an Alvin Sims or a Preston Knowles, you can pretty much, you know, walk around Louisville for the rest of your life and there'll just be random people, I assume, who recognize you. Do you make it to Louisville often? Um, and is that accurate? If you're walking around Louisville, do people just say, oh, shit, that's Alvin Sims, and, and you're on a, a first-name basis with a lot of the population? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I um, definitely built that uh, that connection with that, a lot of fans in, in Louisville, and, yeah, I appreciate their support, and, yeah, that's most of the time, yeah, they recognize me right away. Very cool. Okay, so if we're going back to your time at the University of Louisville, um, I'm actually, well, first off, your Wikipedia page actually says you were born in Paris, Kentucky. So it sounds like that's actually a little inaccurate, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but then if we go to your time at the University of Louisville, if you could summarize, um, you know, how did that go? What was your, um, I know there's probably a lot of details, but if you look back on your, your time playing for the, the University of Louisville, uh, what are the most memorable moments, and what's your summary of your time as a Cardinal? Uh, as my time, um, man, it, uh, it helped me grow, helped me prepare uh, for future endeavors. Uh, you know, we had this, the coaching staff. We had the older players. Um, we had, you know, they uh, – um, Cliff Rozier, uh, Greg Miner, Dwayne Morton, uh, three NBA players. They helped uh, guide me. You know, they showed me the ropes. They helped me understand the, the, the tradition, what they went through. Um, and, you know, it definitely made me a competitor, a different type of competitor. Um, and they helped me acknowledge my role. At Louisville, because in high school I was just uh, I was just a scorer. I just you know I knew I could score any time, any point, any place. And um, when I went when I got to Louisville, I understood you know I had to you know be a role player. And also, I was never uh, uh, a lockdown defender either. I was always a gambler. I always gambled against steals and stuff like that. So. They, you know, helped me grow as far as being a de defensive player. And I would say uh, there was many uh, memorable moments, but, you know, making to the, the Elite Eight with, um, with all our struggles was definitely one of the best memories uh, throughout my whole career. All right. So on that team that went to the Elite Eight, if we could try to, you know, walk back and, and look at that, um, I'm trying to put this together in my head, of course, with the assistance of the internet, which I have in front of me. Uh, but was was um, Samaki Walker a part of that? No, Samaki wasn't there. He he left the I think it was the year before. Okay. Um, and he ended the draft the year before. But yeah, that was you know we expected to have a full roster, but you know we had Alex Sanders. Oh, that, okay. Alex Yeah, he was our center and, you know, undersized. So, you know, we everybody had to, you know, overcompensate for that those roles, you know, being a defender, shot blocker, rebounder. So Alex Sanders, my memory of him, of course, is as you said, undersized center. It says he's listed at six seven. I don't know how accurate that is, but he kind of had a crafty game around the basket, you know, kind of a good touch. Uh, shows that yeah. he shot, um, you know, 48% from the field while at Louisville. That's a, a good percentage, you know, field goal percentage. So interesting. I had not thought of his name um, in many years. How would you describe Denny Crum as a coach in hindsight? How would you how would you summarize his coaching? Of course, there's so many different styles, but if you had to give a summary of what type of coach Denny Crum was, what would you say? You know, after all the years, I would say if you if if, if anybody's watched the original Karate Kid, he was like Mr. Miyagi to me. <laughs> okay. So 
I would say he would say some things that I didn't get right away, and then it might have took it took me probably a couple years because I, I struggled being coached by um, a person with that much in depth of knowledge of the game and uh, you know that type of character and um, the will to win. And, you know, and I had to accept, also I had to accept his discipline. Like I said, when I was in high school, I, I did whatever I wanted to. I, I basically ran the team. If coach called a play, I didn't like it. I didn't run the foot. But with Denny, he, he helped me, he helped me grow. He helped me develop into a, a true basketball player. He helped me recognize, you know, percentages, um, being efficient, uh, um, how to play defense, recognizing uh, other players' strengths and weaknesses. He had that uh, John Wooden philosophy, this flowing, flowing through his whole body. So, I mean, he he helped me build that character as a uh, elite basketball player, and then it, you know after that, I took it further into my professional career. Okay, so while we're sticking with your time for now at the University of Louisville. Of course, uh, for Kentucky and Louisville fans, this is college basketball country, like I said earlier. I have heard the comparison before that Denny Crum was in some ways kind of like a John Calipari type coach. He got real good talent, um, and he was a, 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 a good, you know, a good floor coach. Um, what do you think of that comparison? Uh, no. Orange is an app. I don't think John can... You know, as far as coaching strategy, there's no he's he can't touch Danny. He can't touch Danny. He could he wouldn't be able to prepare. I you know I see I've seen his uh you know his products as far as I mean they may be one and dones, but he's not truly preparing a player to you know broaden his horizons to expand to develop uh, other attributes as far as the mental aspect of the game. Okay, so if there was a modern basketball coach that we would compare Denny Crum to, does anyone come to mind? Uh, maybe uh, I would say the coach from uh, Gonzaga. Maybe. Okay, few. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But it's hard. It's, it's, I don't think so, man. <laughs> Denny's like one of the, one of a kind, so uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I watch a lot of basketball. I'm like, why? You know, I'm understand because Denny was in my head basically with all his philosophies. I'm like, why are these people doing this? Why are they Why are they coaching like this? So he he made me into a person that constantly thinks. You know, being efficient. You know, try to eliminate his mistakes. Uh, what it What it takes to win. Those, all those scenarios are like rolling through my head. So, okay, so of course, a very formidable four years for you at the University of Louisville from 1993 through 1997. Um, I mean, you were somebody who, you know, you you played quite a bit even as a, a freshman. Uh, before we move on past your college career, are there any specific memories? I don't know, like. Um, Maybe who's the best player you ever played against? Is there, you know, I interviewed Winston Bennett one time. He told a story about trying to guard Michael Jordan. And, of course, that's in the NBA. But any yeah. any little nuggets like that, you know? I mean, I assume you played against some real talent that, that I probably watched, but it was so long ago that I can't, you know, it's not coming to mind for me right now. Who's the best player you played against? And are there any specific stories? Um... I mean, the best player, there's a lot of good players. Um, I wouldn't say that there was a player that actually put me in my place or anything because I had so much pride on defense that I definitely wouldn't allow that. Um, but talent-wise, i say the Kentucky roster was pretty difficult uh, in 96. <laughs> yeah. And it, even even – even my freshman year, with you know, when they had uh, Jamal Masburn and them, that that was probably those two teams right there. 
Man. They were, they, they were different. A lot, lot of talent um, from those. I mean, if I, if I look at the years you played at Louisville from 93 through 97, you just mentioned Jamal Mashburn. I mean, we could go down the list of guys, future NBA players who are on even yeah. even just those Kentucky teams. There's one, okay, so if we're, let's zone in to Louisville versus Kentucky. Is there one game in particular out of your four years when you guys played Kentucky that, um, or, or, you know, anything in particular that comes to mind about that rivalry? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, my junior year at Rupp, so, you know, I had a lot on my chest, and uh, I definitely wanted to perform well at Rupp. Uh, even though we didn't get the victory, I felt, you know, I had some type of success. Um, I dedicated the game to my father who passed away that year. Uh, also, um, you know, it's right down the street from my uh, my hometown, Paris. So I had a lot of people come and watch. But, uh, yeah, that was like one of the games I, I really wanted to compete at my best. Do you remember anything about maybe your stat line or who you guarded for the most part during that game or anything additionally about that specific game? Um, my assignment was Tony Delp, but, you know, sometimes with that, they had that back screen switch or whatever. We always switched the pick, but and that's when he, he would usually um, get his points. But, uh, yeah, Tony Delp, we, were both, we shared uh, co-MVPs that game. I think I had 23, he had 25. Um, I don't know, I had like maybe four to six steals, something like that, some rebounds. I had a, had a good good game. Wow. Tony Delk is an interesting uh, guy to remember. I, I forget, but I think one game in the NBA he scored, what was it, like 50-something 50, 50 points, I think? I'm going to look it up. Um, yeah, he did. He scored about 50-something. Yeah, yeah. I think there was one game, NBA – Four thousand nine fifty-seven. Um, sorry, I'm. I just keep revisiting these old basketball player uh, uh, names. Yeah, there it is. In in two thousand two thousand one, Tony Delk was with the Phoenix Suns. He scored fifty three points in a game. I assume now looking back, of course, uh, uh, Alvin, you were listed as a shooting guard. That's an accurate. That was your position, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You had a little bit of a. You were six foot four, um, uh, of course, um, or you are six foot four. But um, you, you you probably had some size and bulk advantage. What? How would you describe your matchup against someone like Tony Delk? How did you do staying with somebody like that? Um, I think uh, I definitely had the advantage on off on the offensive end. Um, a lot of teams they they. Watch for they wanted to watch for me off the dribble. Uh, Kentucky is mainly Kentucky because, especially after after the the first the my sophomore year and, and junior year when you know they were a pressing team, they were known for the press, and I can you know with my ball handling ability, I was equally able to you know just dribble through the press like it was nothing. I was fluent with. Uh, you know, breaking presses against Kentucky anyway. And then, like my senior year, they put in, like, some kind of thing where they uh, <laughs> couldn't allow me to break the press. And then they didn't even press that much that game. But, uh, yeah, I will always have the advantage with strength and speed and explosiveness to the rim. Um, you know, I, I, I had a jump shot, but I didn't really utilize it because I, I don't know. I wanted to be efficient. I was thinking, like, Denny Crum won five percent of shots, um, so I wasn't too too confident in my shot. But uh, I always practice it. If I were to describe, I have a thirteen-year-old son who plays uh, basketball. He's in the eighth grade. He's on the school team. He loves basketball. If I were to summarize Denny Crum in uh, his style, maybe versus, let's say, Rick Pitino, for example, I would say. Denny Crum, when it comes specifically to offense, okay, you alluded to it right there. He, it wasn't that he was anti-shooting the three-pointer. I don't, I don't think he was. But he was a fan of taking the most high-percentage shots available. I remember Rick Pitino would tell 
players to shoot. You have to shoot the three. If you're open, you got to shoot it. Denny Crum was not quite like that. What do you think of my description of Denny Crum's approach to shot selection? And is there anything you would like to add to it? Yeah, you're definitely right. You're on point with that. Uh, yeah, Danny, if you didn't shoot 33% from the three, you weren't allowed to shoot the three. Also, uh, yeah, he wanted to use angles, backboard. Um, his plays were geared to, you know, high percentage shots. And Rick Rick was like, all out. We're going to develop a three-point shot. We're going to run up the run up the score. We're going to, you know, if we mess up, we'll, we'll press and get turnovers and get the ball back. So we'll have the possession again. He was a gambler. He was uh, he had a gambling style of play. Then he didn't have that gambling style of play. He was more efficient. He wanted to be safe. He wanted high percentage uh, as well as good defense. He was strategic throughout the whole game. I don't even think we lost the overtime game my, all my years with Denny. Wow. Okay, so you said efficient, okay. And you're talking about yeah. offense. But one of the things you said at the beginning was when you were in high school and then naturally even into college, you were more of a, um, I want to make sure I say this correctly or accurately, you were more of a gambler on defense instead of like a, you know, like a Bruce Bowen uh, lockdown defender, you would maybe take a, a risk and you'd try to slap the ball out and get a steal, things like that. So Denny Crum, not only on offense did he harp the efficiency at all costs, but would it be accurate to say it was the, pretty much the same concept when it was applied to defense? Correct, correct. So, yeah, I, like I said, in high school, I, if I see a pass, I'm coming from the other side of the court and try to steal it because I had, I had that athletic ability and I took, I took the risks all the time. Most of the times I would get the steal. But um, with Denny, he didn't want us to gamble and hurt the the, uh, the defense. We didn't want to give away free points. We we wanted to, you know, make them work. And that's why, you know, when I was playing, he implemented the switch. That way, if if you know, even though you might have a guard on the center, we still were in position to help collapse and get the offensive re- defensive rebound. Okay. Um, of course, when you played for Louisville, you did not know, no one knew that later on down the road, Rick Pitino <laughs> um, would end up, you know, becoming the head coach at the University of Louisville. Based on just your memory during your years as a Cardinal on the, the basketball team, what was your opinion and what do you think was kind of the opinion of the team? And maybe even if you, you know, if you care to mention what was the opinion that you know of from Denny Crum, what did everyone think of Rick Pitino at that time? Uh, it was a lot of mixed emotions. People didn't, you know, understand the, you know, why did we choose Rick? Um, obviously, it was a uh, he had a relationship with uh, the AD, but uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't totally welcome. We didn't welcome that because Rick came in and, and he tried to change the whole culture of uh, Cardinal basketball. I mean. He pushed everybody out of his office, brought his own staff in. Um, you know, he had his own traditions and uh, how he wanted to operate. And, you know, if we came in as, as former players, we were clueless. Like, is this even our, um, uh, you know, where we played? Or is this, this even our old school? And, you know, we were all pushed away. So, yeah, we didn't, we didn't like it at first. But then... Um, you know, he started to grow because, you know, he produced uh, some good teams. Um, people started to like his strategy as far as defense. He, he definitely switched it up uh, a little bit. He wasn't totally a, a gambler like he was at, at Kentucky. Um, they, they had more defenders definitely out there. And, you know, he, he, he did recruit a few of uh, Kentucky players to come in, and that was one of the um, Kentucky-grown players I, I might say but um that, that that was another reason why you know that people didn't like that because he didn't give the local talent any any looks but he he did a couple times later on his uh 
in his career at Louisville. I guess guys like Larry O'Bannon come to mind. Um, I'm trying to think, and I'm Preston Knowles is one, of course. Um, yeah. there, there's probably others that I, I'm kind of you know blanking on right now, but I bet there's some big ones actually. But regardless, yeah, it was an interesting experience as a, a fan to see the. You don't really see that very often, where the rival coach ends up taking over, you know, for, for your school. So it was an interesting, especially in hindsight, because being caught up in the moment, you know, it was interesting too. But to hear, you know, reflections back on it. I heard that Denny Crum at one point had offered Rick early when Rick came to Louisville. Denny said, you know, I still live here. I'd love to come down and watch a practice, try to help, see if there's anything I can help with. And Rick just kind of politely said, or I don't know about politely, but he, he basically said no thanks. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I can tell you, I was, I came down to like, I, he, at first he would let he he, you know, invited me to come play with the, the players and, you know, uh, Garcia and Ty, Taekwon Dean and all those guys, I, you know, I started playing. They, he wanted that, you know, for me to bring my competitiveness in to, you know, help, uh, you know, build them up during the summers. And then after two years, he cut it all off. I wasn't welcome anymore. I mean, even, you know, we I thought we exchanged phone numbers, but I, <laughs> I guess I didn't have his phone number either. So, And then it was definitely hard to get tickets to games. And if, I didn't, if we didn't have Kenny Klein, it was if I didn't, have a relationship with Kenny Klein, I probably wouldn't been to uh, many games, you know. But, uh, yeah, he, it was an strange relationship with former players, former administration, everything. It was, it was a bad deal. Okay, and, of course, everyone knows how the Rick Pitino tenure at the University of Louisville ended. Very chaotic. Uh, and then we had that one year with Padgett as the coach followed by Chris Mack. We don't need to get into all of those details, but what are your thoughts on, you know, uh, that entire transition period? Do you, were you a fan of Paget? What did you think of Chris Mack? Yeah, I was a fan of Paget. I mean, he's a former player. Uh, you know, he was, he know, he knew about the tradition. Um, he, he wanted to, you know, implement what he could as far as what he learned from, Rick and you know, like I said, we slowly started to like his style of play and everything. And uh, it was unfortunate that you know all the pressure was put on him uh, right away. But uh, you know, he liked he kind of liked the uh, experience. But um, I think he did well. And then as far as Mac, I think people put a lot of pressure on him. I mean. It, the cards were number one at one point in time. I mean, we haven't been number one in a long time. And uh, that was a, you know, even though it was short-lived, it was it was a, a great achievement. But I think, like, after that, they kind of fell off. And as far as his coaching strategy, I don't think he put much emphasis on, you know, pressuring with defense. I think he lacked defense. I think he, the players um, didn't didn't play with much enthusiasm, like much heart. Uh, it wasn't like a traditional um, Louisville Cardinal style of play out there, as far as emotions. Uh, you know what's on. You know the representing the front of your jersey, uh, the fans. I didn't think they didn't they didn't have that type of passion. Okay. Um, all right. So I know that we could go into so many different directions when it comes to your time at the University of Louisville and then even after it. Because once you're a, a Cardinal, especially someone like you who played for four years and was a fan favorite, you are always going to be remembered as a Cardinal. And so it's fascinating to hear your take on the more, the more recent teams. Um, 
But after your time at the University of Louisville, I'm looking at your Wikipedia page. It says that from 97 and 98, you played for the Quad City Thunder, then the Phoenix Suns, then the Quad City Thunder. You played for multiple different teams. Could you give me a summary of your professional career after the University of Louisville um, and to the extent that you want to go into it, I mean, how was the pay? What was the level of competition? Were there any countries in particular that, I don't know, did you have anything crazy happen? You, you didn't feel safe somewhere or any, anything like that? Because, I mean, I, I can imagine uh, there's a lot of different angles to this, but what is your summary of your time as a professional basketball player? It was uh, I would do it all over again. It was a great experience. Um, I got to travel the world and everything. But as you know, when I first got into it, like you said, I played in the CBA for the Quad City Thunder. It was a great start to my career. Ended up being uh, Rookie of the Year um, against a lot of great talent out there. Uh, Jimmy King from the Fab Five. We had Jeff McGinnis. Um, uh, they had. Uh, Victor Page, who played with Allen Iverson at Georgetown, that was a rookie. Um, there was a lot of great rookies out there, and you know, it was I was I made a great accomplishment, you know, having the edge over top of them. And and then, you know, the my stint in the NBA was a great experience. Um, I would have pursued it further, but. Uh, I was like an impatient player. I had a lot of confidence in myself, so I didn't really want to go through all the, um, you know, uh, veteran camp uh, situation because I did it twice. And, you know, I went the time when I had at Utah and they cut me at the last minute, it kind of like defeated me. And I was I knew my worth and I just pursued overseas. So overseas, my favorite countries to play in with Greece, um, Italy, um, and then there's other countries I played in, France. I played in uh, the Middle East as well towards the end of my career. Uh, I was in Lebanon, Dubai, Kuwait, Iran. So uh, I'll give a quick synopsis of uh, my crazy story from Iran. Um, so... I was actually trying to leave the the country. Um, my contract was up. I mean, I couldn't take it any. It was good, good pay, great pay. I couldn't, you know, great pay. But I was ready to leave. I mean, it was it was the type of country where I wasn't comfortable in because uh, the customs and everything else. I mean, there was nothing really to do. Uh, I live like in a dormitory with dial-up internet, uh, just uh, a few books, um, and a PlayStation. So no real TV, uh, nowhere to go. Uh, you couldn't really go anywhere. Um, so basically, I'm trying to leave. They don't want me to leave. They want me to stay and play for in the playoffs. But I was ready to leave, so they kind of held me hostage. Um, they was playing keep away with my passport. Wow. Uh, I missed I missed a couple flights. I was panicking. I had to call. There's no embassy there, so I had to call the international police. Uh, I guess after another week or so, um, they threatened uh, whoever had my passport, and they uh, they uh, they left it at the front desk of the hotel, standing in next to the airport. Finally got it, <laughs> and I got to leave. So there were maybe at least a, a couple days there where you felt borderline, like maybe almost unsafe. Yeah, I was like, "What's going to happen next?" Because if you don't have a passport with an exit visa, you stuck. Wow. So, so yeah. So in hindsight, maybe if you had to do it all over again, you would have avoided going there. Yeah, I would have chose another. <laughs> I had I had other options. So I could have went to China. I didn't want to do the flight to China. You know, it's like twenty some hours. I rather and I ran. Uh, they had great. They had a little more money than China. So that that that's what uh, led me there. 
Um, there are many interesting cases of former NBA stars who then go on to play for years overseas. I forget where, but um, I think Dominique Wilkins played for many years. I forget where, uh, but somewhere. He, he didn't really. I don't think he played for many years. I was right. I was there. He was in Greece. Okay. So, and I don't even really think he played. It was like he just came in and just got the money. He got hurt. Oh, okay. But, but there's a lot of stories about Dominique at, in Greece. He, I don't want to get into it because I don't want to expose him or whatever. But, yeah, there's a lot of crazy stories. I was like, wow. But, yeah, he had he had a three-story uh, um, condo with an elevator. <laughs> he was living the life. But he didn't play much. He didn't play much, but. Yeah, he lived the life. He, that's when uh, I think he ruptured his Achilles at that point in time. And then he ended up going back to the NBA. Okay, and then there's also got and there's tons of names I'm leaving off here. But um, I think Stefan Marbury ended up playing for a long time. Or I don't uh, know. Yeah. I think China, I think. He, yeah, he was, he's a legend in China. I mean, they got a movie about him. He has a statue. He's, uh, you know, his... Year before he retired, he won a championship, um, and he's a coach now over there. Wow. Um, any other names that come to mind that are big time, you know, for people who are basketball junkies, you know, they, they know, mostly here in the United States, we know people who played college basketball, and then they go on to success in the NBA, but... Are there any names that are popular here that maybe people don't realize uh, after their playing days in the NBA were done, they went and had a, a nice little run overseas, which only makes sense because if you want to still make money, um, which I, you know, I, I would, I'd want to make money after, after I can't play in the NBA anymore, might as well go make some money and see some beautiful countries. Are there any names that come to mind with that type of topic? Um. I mean, there's there's NBA players that came, but they didn't pan out because of the style of play. It was very difficult, man. Like I said, Danny prepared me for this, for uh, playing overseas. I mean, you have to be efficient. The lane is wider. They can play zone. So those types of NBA players that came over there, it was hard for them to adjust because they were so used to the NBA style. But Ginobili, I would say Ginobili, I played against him in Italy. Wow. When he got to the NBA, okay, he dominated. He because you know the style is so different and so wide open. He was so athletic. He really didn't have a uh, jump shot at that time, and he, you know, his, you know, his like his dribbling style is so unorthodox. You, I mean, once you if you play a zone defense, you can cut. You can definitely cut off his left hand. So I mean. Um, but when he got to the NBA, he flourished. It's, it's the same way with a lot of European players that have that Euro, European experience. They come to the NBA and they flourish because they already developed uh, the fundamentals and they know all the, the strategies as far as defenses and they know which plays to make. It's just like, you know, they, they taught the game before they played it. Yeah, one name that comes to mind, and I assume he was before your time, but... Um... Arvita Sabonis, of course, played for many years over there before coming to the NBA. Do you ever hear any stories about his time playing in Europe? Yeah, yeah, he was he was a dominant man. He almost didn't come because they paid him so well over there. He didn't. He almost didn't even come over here. There's a there's a few NBA players. I mean, not NBA players, but European players that could play in the NBA with ease. But you know, they they rather stay home and and they still got paid well. Uh, uh, I would say this guy named Fusco. He was he was seven one. Could dribble left, right, jump hook, uh, left hand, right hook. Could shoot threes, left handed, right handed. He can do everything, and he never did want to come to the NBA. He played on uh, the Italian national team. There's another guy, Dijon Bodiroga that played with uh, Stajakovic and all those. Well, he he played, uh, yeah, he played with Stajakovic. And um, 
and that's when they won. Uh, was it Yugoslavia when they won the Olympics? That he was right. on that team. Okay. Yeah, he was on that team. He was actually the point guard, and he was six seven. He wasn't quick, but he was smart. He was very smart, and he can. You know, they say you know the Sam guy move. Mm-hmm. They keep saying I seen I seen him do it plenty of time with ease. Even Ginobili was doing it before it got popular. So uh, the the European players, they, they I mean that's I, that my game really developed when I started playing in Europe. I mean jump shot was fluent, uh, ball handling. Uh, you know, I developed like pull up game was. Everything I developed everything playing in Europe because that's all they practice is fundamentals. Footwork, fundamentals, and repetitions all day long. So according to Wikipedia, your playing days ended in two thousand six. Is that accurate? Two thousand nine uh uh was my last year in Lebanon. Uh I broke my foot and you know, at, at my age I mean, they wanted me to come back, but it was hard. It was taking a lot of time to recover. So, uh, you know, they was trying to rush me back. And then after that, I was like, you know, I, I had a good career. I hated that it ended like this. And, uh, you know, I, was, I knew I was older because it was – I was playing against kids that were younger than me, and they was like, oh, man, I used to watch you on TV. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so – yeah, it was 2009. What did you do after your playing career ended? What type of work did you get into? So uh, I went straight to school. Um, I got into, you know, being a substitute teacher, and then I worked on uh, getting my degree. Uh, the The goal at first was going. I was going to try to be a high school coach, um, it's, but um, it didn't pan out. I ended up being a freshman coach uh, for a while. Uh, then I I applied for some high school coaching jobs uh, at my old high school, but I didn't get hired. So um, I went, I started training, training kids. So started developing kids, have, uh, created my own little training service. Then, then I got back into coaching. Uh, travel ball, and then I went to middle school, coached boys and girls in middle school, and basically that's what I'm currently doing now. So, and where is that at? I'm in, I'm uh, currently located in um, Davenport, Iowa, which is in the Quad Cities. Okay, and uh, going forward, is your are your plans just to stay in the coaching profession? No, I'm I'm kind of getting old, you know. I, you know, the money's not as good as you know my line of work, so um, that's my focus. Uh, just to continue to work, get my benefits, and retire. But I I, I will still continue um, to coach travel ball, continue to work with kids, try to you know develop them, teach them the ins and outs, what what they need to accomplish if they want to move up to the next level. Okay, and how many kids do you have, and how many of them? Because I always see, you know, I'll see some some uh, uh, prospect uh, with the last name Sims, and I'm always thinking, is that one of Alvin Sims' kids? How many kids do you have, and are they all basketball players? Well, I have four. Um, basically, they're almost not kids anymore. They're adults. But, uh, yeah, I have my oldest daughter, Asia Sims, went to Bourbon County. She's the all-time leader scorer there. Ended up going to Tennessee State, had a good career there, and she graduated. Uh, now she has a master's uh, in school counseling. Uh, my son just graduated from uh, Midway University. Uh, he just got his biology degree. Uh, he's unsure what he wants to do now, but um, I now uh, my daughter, she's at Lenore Ryan in North Carolina playing basketball. This is a freshman year. And um, I have a, a, a senior at Mason County, and she plays basketball and runs track and has a, a lot of schools interested in 
her uh, track ability. So. Okay. Well, Alvin Sims, I really appreciate you joining me for the episode today. Before we wrap things up, are there any you know specific um, you know uh, social media plugs or anything in particular you'd like to mention? I'm looking at your Instagram now. It's Al so Al Sims 5 I assume that's your uh, accurate Instagram. Anything else you'd like to mention before we wrap up the episode? Yeah, uh, people can check out my S Five Academy Facebook page. Um, I have a lot of uh, information on there or videos uh, uh, from the players I've uh, trained. I've actually helped uh, quite a few players get basketball scholarships and they a couple of them didn't even play uh, varsity on their high school team they uh, pretty much sat the bench but they ended up with basketball scholarships but uh wow that has to be pretty yeah, that, that has to be pretty rare <laughs> yeah so yeah but um yeah s5 academy facebook page um also i'm on twitter um I have t- I have a TikTok as well with uh, some vintage footage of uh, when I played. So yeah, you can check it out. Let me see here. I'll try to look it up. Do you do you know off the top of your head what is your TikTok account name? I think it's just Alvin Sims. It's, I don't I don't think I put anything difficult. It's Alvin Sims. Okay, yeah, there it is. Alvin Sims at Alvin Sims. That's pretty simple. All right. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Alvin, I really appreciate your time. Great insight into your, of course, career at the University of Louisville, also playing overseas. And I really like just the the uh, old school, you know, basketball talks. You got a, a neat perspective with everything, um, of course, domestically, but also internationally. So, Alvin, thank you very much for your time. Oh, no problem, man. Anytime. Have a good one, man. Bye. All right, you too. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to The Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon. 